Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. Today on this podcast, Dr. Catherine Neal has returned. She is the founder of Cornerstone Psychological Associates in Columbia, Maryland, and she's going to go deeper with us on mental health issues, some of which relate to resilience and some of which are just mental health issues that I see a lot in the leaders that I work with in different industries at different levels. And part of the reason that I invited her to come back to talk about this is one of my observations is that people don't want to talk about their mental health issues, that they struggle in silence with depression, with anxiety, with uh, all sorts of other things. And I wanted to open the door for conversation with Dr. Neal and so that people who are listening to this podcast can think about mental health issues a little bit differently, not only for themselves, but for their loved ones and understand that it's like anything else. Nobody looks down on you because you got high blood pressure. Nobody looks down on you because you got sciatica. It's just a thing. And a part of it is tied to this theme that we've been working on around resilience. So if I had to give this one a title, I would say, Addressing Mental Health and Resilience with Dr. Catherine Neal. So thank you again for being here, Dr. Neal. And I want to tell everybody, her practice focuses on people like us, um, adults, couples, older adolescents, so regular people like you and I. Welcome back, Dr. Neal. It's good to be back. I want to jump right in. I want to start talking about... Number one, let's start with number one before I inundate you with questions. What are the blocks that get in the way of developing resilience? I believe this is, now you know I'm not a psychologist, you are. But what I believe is that there is stuff that gets in the way and that keeps us from developing resilience. And I know that you believe that Everybody can develop it. Everybody's got it somewhere buried inside. But A, I'm not sure I entirely believe that. And B, I think that there are blocks and that they are real. So what do you say? There's so many ways to answer that question. Um, And it's a great question. And we could be here all day. (laughs) Um, I think we talked last time about the fact that in order to build resilience, we need appropriate levels of challenge and stress. We don't need trauma. We don't need to lift 300 pounds right off the bat and tear a muscle. But we need to I, – I, I think there's a common feeling that, you know, because we are all overstressed. <laughs> there's so much stress in this life, and there's this idea that stress isn't good for us. And mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. In the right dose and the right kind. And, you know, it's the helicopter parent, right, that they shield their kid from any kind of stress. 
if they get a C on a test, they go in and they talk to the teacher Mm -hmm. and try to get the teacher to change it to an A or they, you know, you get a trophy at every game just for showing up. And it really doesn't build resilience at all. Kids need to fail. They need to make mistakes. They need to know that that's okay. And they, they love to be challenged and love to have a certain amount of of stress. And it, it, in some ways, we could talk about Carol Dweck and the growth mindset. Um, what is that? Now, that's new to me. Um, so Carol Dweck talks about not yet, right? The growth mindset is basically this idea that intelligence isn't fixed. Hmm. And that you can, you know, that when you learn, you become smarter. And so it reframes challenge and adversity, not as like, I took a test and my intelligence was evaluated and I failed, right? And so I'm dumb because I can't do this. It reframes that as, oh, here's something really hard. This is an opportunity for me to grow. This is an opportunity for me to learn, This will actually create new neural pathways in my brain and make me smarter. And in fact, it will, Mm -hmm. right? That intelligence and our capacities are not fixed. And so when we're, we're challenged, and she's done all kinds of research. You give kids difficult math tests ones that they're not ever possibly going to be able to solve. And there's a certain subset, a certain group of kids that kind of have this concept of the growth mindset. And they'll sit there and they'll work on these problems and they'll work on these problems and they don't solve them, but they stay engaged and they stay interested and they see it as an opportunity to learn something and to grow. Other kids who don't who have a fixed mindset will give up. They'll feel dumb. They'll say, I can't do this. They give up very quickly and they get demoralized, right? So it's it's just an attitude shift, but it's profound. That's interesting. So as I think about people in the workplace, I I do see people who, when faced with major challenges, want to change jobs. They want to move to a different division. They want to do everything other than face the challenge. So I think that's very interesting about this whole idea of a growth mindset. Mm. So I can I can understand how not having the growth mindset would be a block to building resilience. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to what you were saying about um, the whole helicopter parents and mm. trying to fix things. I'm wondering if having a lot of fixers in your life could be a block to developing resilience. If you've always had someone Mm -hmm. who fixes things for you, if you um, are in a relationship where the other person, you know, derives great pleasure from fixing things for you, could that potentially be a block? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So are there other blocks that keep us from building that resilience muscle? Yeah. Well, I, I, I wonder if we could say more about what you just said, because I think it's important, that sure. idea of sort of having things fixed for you mm-hmm. and that helicopter parent 
Sure. Because it's it's an under. I mean, helicopter parenting. I mean, I I don't want to criticize parents because parents love their kids and they're trying dearly to do what's in the best interest of their kids. But this having things fixed for you, there's an un, unintended message, right, that you can't do it. Mm. And I'm worried about you, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to handle this. Mm-hmm. And it creates a really, you know, I mean, can you Im- imagine like going through the world without that sense of agency, right? Without that sense of, oh, this is hard and I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But to go through the world like, I, uh, I and, might, right? Yeah, I might not. Yeah. Like any challenge is a hot potato, right? Mm-hmm. Like I got to get rid of this. I got to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. And then the anxiety goes up. And I, you know, this is what I see in therapy, like particularly, well, not, I, I, want, I was going to say particularly with couples, but with individuals too is, you know, couples come in and they, it's usually not about love. It's usually about trust. Mm. <laughs> And there's and it's 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 these betrayals, not the big ones, but the little ones, right? Like when my feelings are hurt, you're not nice to me and mm-hmm. you don't take care of me, or you reject me, or you know, I I'm trying to talk to you and you're buried in the paper, or you're on your phone. Mm-hmm. It's those little hurts and couples who are not doing well don't know how to repair. Mm. And when you Start when they start to learn how to repair, right? It's they start to learn how to. Wow, I can take care of this other person, and I can. We can have this difficult conflict, and we can face this challenge together. The energy in the room goes up, and they want more, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. The people who start to get a little taste of resilience, right? Kids who have this fixed growth mindset and they start to get a little taste of, oh, you mean I can be challenged and I can do something hard and I can sit with that and I can struggle and I can actually not just be okay and live through it, but learn something and come out the other side with this feeling that I've done something. They want more of that. That feels good. Mm-hmm. And that's when I say, like, resilience is hardwired, right? We want that. We are programmed mm-hmm. to do hard stuff, to handle stress, the right amount of stress, and to grow from it and adapt and change. And it feels good, right? Even if it's hard and it kind of sucks when we're going, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> sucks <laughs> yes, when we're going through it, right? It feels good. Mm-hmm. Not in this woohoo! I'm having fun. Right. I'm doing math and I'm like <laughs> running and I don't like running. <laughs> it still it still feels good to do something hard. So, what of the people for whom it doesn't feel good? I'm curious about the relationship between not wanting to deal with it and things like anxiety depression, other mental health issues, my untrained, uh, unprepared for psychology mind says that this lack of resilience is something that can lead to issues. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say start small. But 
you know, we talked about self-regulation as being part of resilience, right? That you can't return to homeostasis. You get stressed and you go into hyperarousal or hypoarousal and you can't return from that stress. And so anxiety is a chronic state of hyperarousal, right? People who are anxious, people who have anxiety disorders are easily overwhelmed. They get constantly flooded. Their baseline anxiety is high and they can't calm down. And, you know, if you go through life without, you know, feeling like you have no agency, you're not resilient, you're not going to be able to handle anything, then the fear is tremendous. Mm -hmm. You're in a constant state of fear. I'm not going to be able to handle whatever life throws at me. And, you know, anxiety is... Anxiety is is fear, and fear is about threat. Mm-hmm. So it's always about the future. Anxiety is about the future. It's what's going to come at me that I'm not going to be able to handle. And and so, you know, that's where I, I guess we could think about anxiety as a, a chronic state of not having resilience, not uh, of being and yeah. And I and depression is is, I mean these are just. I don't want to oversimplify anxiety and depression, but but this is a way that we can think about it. This is an aspect, right? Depression is a chronic state of hypo arousal, right? That when you can't regulate, you you're shut down. Mm-hmm. I'm, you're demoralized. You're unmotivated. You're shut down. You're turned off. And it's usually about the past, right? I've, I've given up. I've lost something. I can't do it. I'm hopeless, right? It's a sense of loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And both of those are sort of that kind of a, an extreme inability to self-regulate, an inability to come back into the middle Mm-hmm. Where you can feel your feelings, mm-hmm. be in touch with them, but not be overwhelmed or taken over by them. So you can respond and not react so that you have agency, so that your feelings aren't in charge. Your negative feelings aren't in charge. So it's a different relationship to your feelings. So is it? I guess my question going a little bit deeper is, is the relationship to your feelings what can either contribute to mental health and well-being or contribute to the mental health issues? Yeah. Okay. And these are, you know, we think of mental illness as being sort of maladaptive patterns Mm -hmm. of thoughts and feelings, behaviors, you know, and... A, a lot of people have trouble, you know, we're told what you think is bad, what you think is wrong, what you feel is bad, what you feel is wrong. And I, I, I think part of it is having a different relationship to your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors, right? To think of your thoughts or your feelings as things that just come into your mind. They're not who you are. And you're not generally responsible for what you think. It's pretty hard to suppress a negative thought. It's pretty hard to not feel a feeling, right? But to just 
let a thought or a feeling come into your mind and pass through like a cloud passing through the sky, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to define who you are. What defines who you are is what you value and ha- how are you going to act? How are you going to choose to act? So if you're angry, okay. Mm-hmm. If, if you get angry at somebody, it doesn't mean that you are a bad person for having the feeling of anger. That's just data. Anger tells us something. Mm-hmm. Tells us that we've our rights have been violated or we've been wronged in some way. It calls us to act. There's a big feeling, right? But how we choose to act on that anger, that is what we're responsible for. So we don't get to hit people. We don't get to yell and scream at them. So we, we don't want to react based on our feelings or our thoughts. We want to respond. Kathy, I'm really interested in the relationship between resilience and mental health. Is there a relationship between good mental health and resilience? Or, and conversely, is there a relationship, say, between anxiety, depression, other mental health issues, and resilience? That's what I'd like to know more about. I'm not sure that you could be, have mental health and not be resilient. I I can't imagine... I'm just thinking through this as you're talking, but as you're asking me this question, but I I can't imagine that any definition of mental health would not include the definition of resilience. Hmm. That's interesting. So you see that one factor, resilience, as a component. A o- component. Okay. Yeah. Of overall good mental health. Okay. Yeah. I, I I would. I'm again. I'm just thinking of this as I go along, but I would think. Yes, that resilience would be a necessary component of mental health. I can't imagine a definition of mental health that wouldn't include resilience. Okay. So the opposite, not having resilience is? Being brittle. Okay. Being stuck in negative patterns of thinking and feeling and behaving. Um, Being perhaps able to function, perhaps not being able to function, but just... Going through the motions and getting by, hmm. not being fully alive. Hmm. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Not being fully alive. Huh. If a person is struggling with some of these things that you just mentioned, being brittle, being inflexible, not being fully alive, what do you suggest? What what are what is the starting point for moving beyond that and moving into the realm of good mental health? Well, I'm a psychologist, so my <laughs> bias, of course, is come to therapy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> are there other things? There... No. no. <laughs> There's nothing else. You have to come into therapy. <laughs> There's got to be something else. <laughs> You're showing yourself I'm... to be a little inflexible here. <laughs> so come on now, Dr. Neal. Right. In reality, we know everybody's not coming to therapy. Yes. Everybody doesn't want to sit on your couch. So <laughs> what techniques do you really have right. for the people right. who don't want to come see you? Well, there, there are lots of techniques, and it's sort of hard to break down. It's hard to know where to start. Okay. Um, I think we already talked about self-compassion, yes. which is a technique, mm-hmm. right? I think 
developing the capacity to respond and not react, right? So there's this idea of a jello wall, and there's some there's a great podcast about this, but the jello wall is the idea basically that if something's coming at you, if an if there's an incoming missile, an incoming arrow uh-huh. being, you know, launched at you, and it's a criticism or an accusation or something hurtful, you you respond and not react immediately, right? The reaction is defensive. It's uh-huh. knee-jerk. But as that's arrows coming in, there's a jello wall, right? There's a little something, a little buffer that slows it down, hmm. right? So you give yourself enough, and this is where self-regulation comes in, right? If you're self-regulated, you can have a little bit of a buffer. So when that arrow's coming in, you can say to yourself, is this true? Mm-hmm. And is this about me? Because sometimes it's not about me. Sometimes it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about them. Sometimes it's off base. Sometimes it's somebody else's perception. Sometimes it's a projection onto you that doesn't really belong to you. If it's not about you, then fine. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take it. <laughs> okay. So by the time you realize it's not about me, that arrow is going to bounce right off of you. Okay. If it is about you, is it is it true? Is it fair? Then okay, how are you going to deal with it? What what's your response going to be? Mm-hmm. Do you need to apologize? Do you need to have a conversation with somebody that's maybe difficult? Right? And then you can start to deal with it. You can start to work with it. So as we go back to what you were saying earlier about resilience, it would seem to me that resilient people have the capacity to have the jello wall up. Right. And that maybe part of the struggle in developing resilience is internalizing all of the arrows that come at you. Right. Would that be a, a pretty accurate summation of where you're going? Yeah. Are there other techniques that you think help people in developing resilience? Are there yeah. other strategies? So, I want to talk a little bit about dopamine, right, which is sort of a reward system in the brain, right? There there are a couple of different reward circuits, right? There's the serotonin oxytocin reward circuit, which is about warm and fuzzy feelings, right? Chocolate cake, sex, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, a good night's sleep, your dog greeting you at the end of the day, right? These are that kind of feel-good neurotransmitters that give us rewards when something good is happening. The other is dopamine, which is a little bit misunderstood. It's the reward neurotransmitter. You know, when we do something good and we've achieved something, when we win the race. But it's not just something that's uh, uh, that we get a little burst of when we achieve something. It's something that's kind of dispensed in very small doses along the way. And it's dispensed when there's friction. It's dispensed when there's tension toward the goal. Hmm. So um, if I want to write a paper, it's not just when I turn the paper in and feel really good about it that I get a dopamine hit. It's when I make an outline and it's when I write a paragraph and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to say. Right. And it's when I 
know that the paper's coming along, right? And so if we understand this about ourselves, we can really harness it, right? So stress produces adrenaline or noradrenaline, norepinephrine, and that helps us respond to stress, right? It, it, it energizes us, but it's a tense feeling. Dopamine smooths it out. Ah. So if, if you can say, if you can break things down and reward yourself along the way and say to yourself, I'm working on it, I'm on the right track, you can really harness millions of years of evolution (laughs) Uh right um you can say i want to run a marathon people get overwhelmed and they just give up Uh but if you say to yourself i'm gonna just walk around the block today and get off the couch and then you come back after you've done that and you say wow i did it Uh haven't run a marathon yet Uh but okay i did it Right. And you don't, you know, that doesn't (laughs) um, really warrant great fanfare and breaking open a bottle of champagne. But you're just telling your, okay, maybe it does. I don't know. (laughs) It would at my house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Talk about the COVID-10 that I put on here. Right. But but, um, it's, you know, you if you if you know that about how your brain chemistry works, you can really harness that. Okay. But it, but part of it is the is the paying attention to it, S- saying that, and you can practice by saying that aloud to yourself. I'm on the right track, and then the next day you're going to walk three blocks, uh-huh. and then you say to yourself, Okay, I'm in the right direction. Okay, you know it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I have noted is that you come back to self-talk and to this whole notion of self-compassion a lot, a lot, um, as as ways of building resilience and now as ways of moving beyond these blocks that get in the way. You know, what do you say to the person who says, I don't have it in me? I'm exhausted from the trauma of my life and I don't have it in me. What do you say to that? What do you have in you? Mm. Where where do you want to start? Mm-hmm. What do you remember about a time in your life when you had it in you? Mm-hmm. Can you feel what that felt like? Can you remember that? If you can get people to remember a positive emotion, you can get them to relive the positive emotion. Mm. Right, and you can get people to notice where it is in the body. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, "Well, I, I, I remember a time when I felt proud of myself because I used to do whatever it might have been, mm-hmm. and that and that felt good. I remember that." Okay, well, where where do you feel that? And then you get you well, I, you know, my my. I feel sort of this expansiveness in my chest, or mm-hmm. I feel a lightness. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, what does that feel like? Right? And as they observe and check in with the sensations in their body, they're actually starting now to feel the good feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're in these patterns of thinking, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't, and we've, we've, this is the self talk, we're no longer. <laughs> 
remembering to remember the good feelings, mm-hmm. right? And we're not giving ourselves any more dopamine bursts. And so somewhere you had a good feeling. Somewhere you had some sense that you could do something good. Let's start with that and let's build on that. And, you, you know, if you can remember what it felt like, then you're actually the – the experience of remembering is reconstructive by definition, mm. right? So you're, you're creating that feeling. And it's a place to start. Okay. You know, what what you just said made me uh, remember a sermon that I heard, which was, don't forget to remember. Mm. And I love that sermon. I can't remember who it was, but it was, don't forget Mm -hmm. to remember. And he talked about stop in the moment Mm -hmm. and remember that you've gotten through other trials, other tribulations, and don't forget to remember. And that's what came to mind when you were talking. Yeah. You know, I I appreciate the fact that you continue to offer hope, um, not just hope around resilience, but hope around restored, rebuilding mental health. And that that is so important and the link between good mental health and resilience. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for coming back to the Smichael Speaks podcast channel. I appreciate you generously sharing your insights And quite frankly, Kathy, more importantly, I appreciate the fact that you're real. You're not trite. You're not pulling stuff out of the textbook. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the fact that you stop and think about answers. Thank you. So thanks for just being you. (laughs) Appreciate that. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe if you haven't already. I add new and relevant leadership learning all of the time. If you haven't visited the Smichael Speaks YouTube channel, check it out. There's all sorts of new content. All of this is virtual leadership learning that will help you soar.